So I'm going to ask Gray to come and to, to lead us. Um, he can give a bit of an introduction about himself he's a, and, uh, and some of his role, and, uh, and then he's going to bring us the word. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Tony. Well, happy birthday. It's great to be here. Um, really great to be here to um, swim to church this morning with some of you um, in the middle of the rain. So I'm glad that you're able to um, be here for this very special occasion. And it's really good to join you and to share some of God's word with you today and to bring you greetings from 340 or so other churches um, of which you are part of the broader family in the Baptist churches in New South Wales and ACT, who in one way or another today are joining uh, together to worship Jesus and to love and to serve him as well. Um, as Tony mentioned, I work with the association with that family of churches. I particularly work in leadership development. So um, that's my joy and what I spend a lot of my time doing is connecting with pastors and leaders and people who are becoming pastors or are hoping to become pastors, uh, people who are coming through the Bible College and we, our commitment is to recognise, raise, release and resource pastors and leaders throughout our family of churches. And that's really important because we have a big vision that God put on the heart of the family of churches a few years ago, and that is to see a thousand, church, a thousand healthy churches in a generation. So if ever you see the Gen 1K tag, that's 1K, 1,000 healthy churches in a generation. And for me and my team, um, if we're going to have a thousand healthy churches in a generation, we need more than a thousand healthy leaders in a generation to uh, lead those churches into what it means to be church in a COVID-aware Australia. And that's changing. There are lots of good stories. God is doing a lot of great things. Churches are being planted. That's a big emphasis in our Gen 1K vision. And Jamie Freeman heads up our mission team and is planting churches. And churches are being revitalised and consultants are going out into churches to encourage better church health. And that's Ian Altman's team of our Gen 1K church health team. And uh, those things are happening and God is doing great things. Even online church where um, one of our people in our youth team, Kieran, Pastor Scar, his name is, and he has a, an online church based around gaming, um, online gaming, uh, where he, with youth around the world, has, I think the last count was about 5,000 people in his online gaming community, which is, um, we're considering a church, because he stops, he shares the word of Jesus, he connects people in prayer. They're doing discipleship. They've got all the markers of what a church is, except that they're not meeting face-to-face like you and I are. But hey, most of us couldn't do that during 2020 anyway. And people are coming to faith around the world because of the ministry that Kieran is able to do through um, his online Pastor Scar ministry. God is doing some really good stuff as his people get together, as they're faithful to him, and as they say, what's next for me, Jesus? So um, uh, thank you for your prayers for us as a family of churches. Uh, we don't know what, the, what 2021 will bring because we didn't know what 2020 would bring. Um, our churches, as well as the whole of the community, have gone through fires, floods and pestilence, so it's fairly biblical. So we need to be able to respond to our communities in new and fresh ways. And I know you're on a journey of transformation and transition as well. So we'll be praying for you as you please pray for all of our churches in our family of churches. Um, talk about praying, let me pray. And would you pray with me as we come to look at the Bible for a little while? 
Lord, thanks for this church. Thanks for its history. Thanks for its heart. Thanks for its faith. And thank you for its hope and its future that is yet to come. Lord, you have been faithful to this church through many years, reaching many people, men, women, boys and girls for Jesus. We're confident that you will continue to do that now and into the future. And as we reflect back and as we reflect now and as we hope for the future, we pray that you would be guiding this church and our family of churches as we seek to serve you more. Be with us as we look at the Bible this morning, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, at at birthday parties, you often play birthday games, right? Well, at at birthday parties for younger children anyway. So I've got a bit of a a, a thing to get your brain going, all right, today. I'm going to read out the words of a theme song, a TV theme song. And all you have to do is, if you think you know it, just call out the name of of the TV show that the theme song belongs to. Okay, you got it? Here we go. See if you can do this one. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. Gilligan's Island is correct. See, I should have had like chocolates or something to throw you like, yeah, that would have been good, wouldn't it? There you go. Well done. All right, what about this one? There's a bear in there. Play school. I thought, see, that was familiar, right? Straight away, you knew what that was. So what about this one? So no one told you life was going to be this way. What was it? Friends. This, on the, you're on the ball, okay? What about this one? Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state. Big Ben Theory. Okay, now this is going to be the hardest one. I don't know if you'll get this one. I'll give you a clue. This is a kid's show of a little while ago. Hmm. There are 104 days of summer vacation and school comes along just to end it. Oh, who's that? What was it? Phineas and Ferb is correct. <laughs> top of the class, top of the class. Um, isn't it interesting that it doesn't take us long when we start to quote the words of a theme song that whole images and thoughts and feelings come back to us because they capture something for us. If we watched Gilligan's Island or if we watched Play School when we were a kid or with our kids or with our grandkids, suddenly all these memories come back to us and these feelings of connection. And theme songs, when they're applied to TV shows, they're meant to engender that in the people who hear them to give them some sort of connection, some sort of memory, some sort of shape for what's about what is happening now and some sort of expectation of what is to come. Uh, that's what happens with theme songs. Some of you may have a theme song. Maybe you and your loved one at one time in your life were dancing at a wedding or at something and you go, this is our song. People say, this is our song and it does the same thing. Focuses backwards and now and to the future. And sometimes... We do that with Bible verses as well. Bible verses that are important to us as a community, as individuals, as churches. Uh, I um, am married to Gemma. We have three young adult children. And I've been involved in ministry for uh, a couple of decades now. And a verse has been important to me through significant times in my life sort of like a bit of a theme song. Well, it was a song back in the scripture and song days when the Bible was put to music specifically. But it was preached at my ordination at uh, significant times in my life, at at conclusion services, at opening services. And it's a a verse for me that has set my scene for ministry. It connects me to what's gone before, what God has been doing in my life, helps me to reflect on who I am now and focuses me on what is yet to come. 
and I want to share it with you a little bit this morning. And it's just one verse, very short. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That is so deep and rich and full of amazing truth. I'm going to read it out to you again and have a listen to what it means. The significance of all the richness of the imagery. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Let me unpack some of that for you because it's important for all of us as followers of Jesus. You are a chosen people. Now, I um, love music and movies. They're two of my things. And I'm not too sure if you've seen the old Indiana Jones movies. Have you seen the old Indiana Jones movies? It's not too bad. You can watch them. They're good. Well, actually, no. Just watch one and three. Forget two and four. They're terrible. Right? Just one and three. But um, number three is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And spoilers, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to do a bit of spoilers. Spoiler alert, okay? But I think many of you have seen it. It's the one where Indiana Jones and his dad, so Harrison Ford, Ford and Sean Connery, are looking for the Holy Grail, that it's the cup of Christ that he was meant to have used at the Last Supper, which was meant to be able to bestow eternal life on anyone who um, was able to drink from it. Now, you can hear already there that there's a little bit of truth in the Bible that's been adapted through mythology into that, and that has been mythology in the Middle Ages, which the movie makers decided to go on. But go with the story for a bit, because Indiana Jones goes on this journey through maps and clues and adventure, and the baddies, of course, are trying to get there before Indiana Jones and his dad, because... The whole gift of eternal life would be a game changer for them and their plans. And finally, Indiana Jones is in this cave, going ahead with the final three tests to get through to find the Holy Grail. And he's got his clue, so he's got his book. And he's looking at the book and he walks through into this first cavern... And he's reading his clues, the breath of God, only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man will pass. And he repeats it to himself. There's a clue, some way that it will get through this first barrier. And he goes through and there's bodies of people who have have tried before but haven't got through. Only the penitent man will pass. And just in time it clicks that a penitent person is someone who is repentant before God. And so he kneels down just in time for the blades to go across the top above his head. And he survives. Only the penitent one will pass. Only to be faced with the second challenge. And his clues say he will walk in the word of God by the name of God. And he looks in front of him and there are all these Latin letters on, on uh, pavers in the ground. Only in the name of God, walk in the name of God. And he works out that if he spells the letters of Yahweh, Jehovah, the name of God, he'll get through. But, so he steps on the first one and almost falls to his death. But that's because he was doing it in the wrong language. That'd be Latin, not Greek. And then he manages to get through to the last challenge. By a leap of faith from the lion's head will he prove his worth. Up to, there's a carved lion's head right next to him. 
And he looks out in front of him and there is what looks like a bottomless pit, a massive cavern. He can't actually jump across it. That was going to be impossible, even though at the other side there was a little hole where he knew he had to go. And so he closes his eyes, he puts his hand on his chest and makes a big step forward. And there's a camouflage bridge. Wow. Camouflage bridge. He manages to get across where he has to fight the night to get the cup of Christ. Friends, isn't it good that reality of the gospel is not anything like that? Isn't it good that to achieve eternal life, God doesn't put those sorts of trials and tribulations and tests in our way? Isn't it good that we aren't, according to this verse, told to be a worthy people or a hard-working people or an honourable people or a perfect people or a people of standards or a people of anything other than a people who are a chosen people? Because chosen for me speaks of grace. We're not worthy or hardworking or honourable or people of merit, but we are chosen. In other words, God has done absolutely everything that needed to be done. We don't need to do that. God has done everything that has needed to be done through Jesus' death and resurrection for us to be able to receive the gift of eternal life. You are a chosen people. And a royal priesthood. That's a position of privilege. A privileged role. Privileged purpose. A chosen people and a royal priesthood. We are called into a place where God has a job for us to do. We don't earn our way into it, but we are the receivers of it. To have the privilege to work alongside one another. To be the priests. Now, We understand that now in a New Testament context where people don't need the priests to be able to go straight through the great high priest to God. However, we have a role of mediation where our role is to bring the grace, which is the gift of God, to those who are around about us in as a holy nation. That speaks of community. So you're a chosen people. A royal priesthood with privilege and purpose and a holy nation set apart but together as the people who God want us to be. The body of Christ, the church. And you are God's special possession. That's just beautiful, isn't it, when you think about that? We often mix up our theology. We understand it in theory. We know grace, but we live by works So we understand forgiveness and yet we're often racked with guilt. And we don't really think that we're worthy enough for God to love us. We don't think we're worthy enough to be in community as part of that holy nation. We don't think we're worthy enough to be part of that privileged purpose priesthood. We certainly don't think we're worthy enough to be chosen and be the recipients of grace. And yet, this verse says, you are God's special Possession. Being possessed by someone, that sort of is a lot of trigger for many of us because we rightly rally against the whole idea of owning other people, usually because the power that those have over others who are said to be the owners of other people means that there, there has been corruption and abuse and a lack of freedom for which God has created all of us. But the sort of possession that God is talking about is really not at all about slavery. It's more about family 
It's more the language of we belong to each other. We belong to God and he considers us precious. Think of this for a moment. You, and reflect individually, you are precious to God. God loves you. You are valuable. You're important. You are significant because of God's love for you and how much he cares for you and considers you precious, a special possession. Aren't they great? You know why I love this verse so much now? Aren't they amazing statements to reflect on? Chosen people, his grace and his initiative. Royal priesthood, the privileged role and purpose that we have. The holy nation, the community that's set apart and God's special possession. The value that he places on us and on you. And that verse, when we jump down, by the way, to the end of 2.9, talks about not just who we are, but also what God's done for us and what he does for us. He calls me. He calls me. He's got a purpose and a plan. He's got something for me to do. He calls me to work alongside others who are equally called. And he calls me out of darkness into his marvellous light. The Bible often uses darkness and light as really powerful images. Um, I don't know if you've ever been down to the depths of Janolan Cave or um, the Urangabilly Caves down in the mountains there, but uh, a few years ago I was on a uh, holiday with my family and another family who we often go away with, and we went down into the Urangabilly Caves. And you can take a self-guided tour down there, and the lights come on as you go through, and then there was actually a guide who was there at one point as well and got a few people into the depths of this cave And it just looks beautiful, like the lights are shining up on the stalagmites and stalactites and I can never remember which one of those goes up and which one of those goes down, but it's just absolutely beautiful. And at one point the guide said, okay, I'm just going to turn the lights off for a moment. And the lights went out and I realised that I didn't really know what darkness was until I was in the depths of that cave and the the lights were completely out. Because usually, especially in the city, um, and even in the country when we're above ground, there's some level of light. But if you don't have the curtains drawn in your window and it's a starry night, even if it's low level, you can sort of make your way out, even with the lights off a little bit. But this was the inky blackness that meant that nothing could be seen. I may as well have been blind. Which is interesting because that's what the Bible also uses the image of, of blindness. Without God, we are blind. We can't see the way to go, which means that we're in danger of self-harm by not being able to see that which is in the way. And yet Jesus comes along, the light of the world, and dispels the darkness. The shadows flee in front of Jesus. And that which is evil and that which is in shadow must Leave the presence of the one who is light and power and holiness. And friends, if you are in Christ, this verse says you have been called out of darkness and into light. Out of not being able to see what is next into a pathway that Jesus is shining for you on the way ahead.
out of a place of danger into a place of security. Out of a place where evil is close by and you may not even know it, into a place where God's power and protection is real. Out of blindness, through healing, into sight. These are amazing, powerful images, aren't they? All packed into this one verse. And that's what Jesus has done for us by calling us out of that place through his death and resurrection into the light, to the light of the world, which makes an absolute difference in those whose light is touched by the light of Christ. And so, in this verse we think of who we are, chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. Because of what Jesus has done for us in the past, he's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. But one of the things I love about this verse is right in the middle, and it's the word, depending on your version, that says so, or therefore. Now, my old pastor was an Irish fire and brimstone pastor when I was, I was growing up, and he had lots of good advice for us. And he used to say, when the Bible says, therefore, ask what it's there for. And he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, God's special possession, so that, so that, therefore, declare the praises. Figuratively speaking, we sing. Use this as your theme song. Could be a theme song of all Christians, this verse. We sing praises. Now, some of us have worship songs that we consider a theme song, a special thing that has meant a lot, of, a lot to us at certain times in our spiritual life or walk. An old, old friend of mine who's gone to glory now, his name was Dudley. And Dudley was in the Air Force in World War II. And in many, many times, um, I asked him to share in different contexts about his story. He was the crew of a bomber in World War II flying from uh, London over Germany. And at one bombing run, his plane was shot down. And he was injured, but survived. And he and the surviving crewmates tell of amazing stories of walking along the German countryside, trying to get back to the front lines, but hiding in barns and away from the patrols. He was captured, became a prisoner of war in one of the prisoner of war camps. He retained his faith in Christ through all of this. In the midst of this darkness, in the darkness, darkest of darkness, Dudley had a small Bible. I think it might have been a Gideon's Bible that he'd had with him that whole time. And this became a little source of light in the prisoner of war camp. And Dudley would talk about hiding it from the guards, but passing it around. Even so, even so much that he would throw it over the high fences that separated one part of the prisoner of war camp from another part, so that the prisoners of war in the other part could actually have a look at the word of God and find hope and light in the middle of the darkest times. And he would say, there was nothing I had to cling on to then other than the cross of Jesus. All hope was almost gone except the hope I had in the cross of Jesus. And so whenever he told this story, and an amazing story of faithfulness, and how God saw them through all of that, he would only do it if people would sing a certain hymn, his theme song. 
the old rugged cross. I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. This was the song that was on his lips forever. For his whole life, I'm pretty sure it was sung while he was passing into glory. Because for him, his life was revolved around Jesus and the cross. And it was his theme. And so he praised Jesus and declared Jesus. When we reflect on what God has done, what we become, we declare his praises to him. But the words here, by the way, could rightly be translated in a slightly other way. Declare his praises or declare his mighty deeds. Now, there's a slight difference there, but for me it sounds like there might be not just one audience. When we think of declaring our praises, we're thinking of praising God. So we're declaring to him how good he is for the good things he has done. But I think quite rightly as well, perhaps there is a second audience here and not just God, but others. Before others, we are declaring the praises of God. We are declaring to them the fantastic things that he has done. We're telling others how good he is. We're declaring and demonstrating the kingdom. Well, do you get why this has been a theme verse for me? I just think this is amazing and encapsulates in one verse so much power and so much imagery that has been encouraging to me. But that's my story. That's what I've connected to. I'm not the only one 1 Peter 2.9 applies to. Dudley wasn't the only one who needs to cling to the cross. If we're followers of Jesus, we have a song to sing. We have a theme that shapes us. We have truths to recapture. We have a purpose to live out. Now, I've read 1 Peter 2.9 as applying to me, but I need to resist the temptation to read this in an an individualistic lens. In other words, the yous, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, isn't just talking to me as one person. It's actually addressed to all of the church. We just don't have a good word for that in English, do we? We need a couple. We used to when there were these and thous going around. And in German, my wife is a German teacher, they have plural and singular yous. The Americans are trying to do that by saying y'all, right? You all are a chosen people. You all are a royal priesthood. You all are a holy nation. You all are God's precious possession. Church, today you celebrate your 64th birthday. You all do. As a church. You've already recounted some of the amazing things through Boys Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade. Of boys and girls coming to faith in Jesus and hearing about the light that rescues out of the darkness. I'm sure there would be many, many other stories over 64 years of people who have come to faith in Christ, who've experienced the love of Christ, who have been helped through life now and into eternity. You have a theme song, and perhaps 1 Peter 2.9 is it, or there are others, words that you've gathered together that say who you are. I've got some of them here. God's purpose for you is to restore and heal the world through Jesus Christ. He invites us, his church, to participate with him in seeing his kingdom come. His will be done in Penrith and the wider community as it is in heaven. That's your purpose. I've read it. Your mission statement. Love God, love others, making disciples who follow, learn, 
from and obey Jesus Christ. And your vision, what we might see in five years, a growing, gathered community of passionate followers of Jesus, deeply dependent upon God's spirit and prayer, rooted in relationships which bear fruit in the wider community. That's great. Don't you hope that that's what happens next? Don't you hope that that's what God will actually do? I think that God can do stuff. I know that God will do stuff because God does do stuff. And when you're at a time and a point where you're celebrating an anniversary, it's a time to look back. God did stuff before. It's a time to reflect now. God seems to be doing things now. It's a time to look ahead and say, wow, what might God do next for us together? I, I did say earlier that I love music. And just about 12 months ago, before, before the lockdown, I think it was the Saturday before everything just went completely pear-shaped, the, um, the run on toilet rolls had already happened. Remember that when we thought that, you know, we can't do anything about, can't do anything about catching COVID, but by gosh, we can buy toilet paper. And everyone was doing that. You remember that? That weekend, uh, my wife had bought me a, a present and we had gone to see Ben Folds, one of my favourite musicians, but with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra in the Sydney Town Hall. Wow, I think it was the last concert that was allowed to happen, or one of them anyway. And it was great. And um, one of the things that Ben Folds does in his um, concerts, it's a bit of a tradition, someone will yell something out and that's the trigger for Ben Folds to write a piece of music on the spot. In front of everyone in his concert, he'll just write a piece of music. And he was with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. So um, I know that this wasn't a G up because my daughter had been to the night before concert, the same concert, but it was a different song. So he's doing a new one every night, right, from scratch. And he sits at the piano because he's a piano player. And he said, OK, um, let me do, OK, we'll do this. I think, I think what we'll do is we'll base the story around someone going to Woolies across the road from Town Hall. And it's like a 1970s Australian... Uh, police drama and so that's the sort of music it will be and it's going to be someone screeching around in the Holden, jumping out, running into Woolies, heisting all the toilet paper they can find and just bolting out throwing it in the car and driving off it's very contextualised this story and he started to create this music around this story and it was incredible to watch he got down the piano and went um, I think I want and he'd play a little thing down on the very low notes of the piano and went right, tubers I want you to do this and then they would start to do that. And then he'd say, okay, flutes, this, and he went round from different section of the orchestra to different section of the orchestra, just creating in his mind and telling them what part they were to play. Amazing. Now, we didn't get to hear it add on. It was only in his head at this point, and he'd tell them one thing, and then he'd tell them to be quiet, and then he'd build, build the next one. And he said, okay, by the way, percussion. Where's the lady on the percussion? I want you to get the triangle out and I want you just to play the triangle like this the whole time. And that's all she had to do. But he already had it in his head, right? And then the conductor, who was looking quite stressed at this point, I've got to say, um, Ben Fold said to the conductor, right, go. And he just sat there with his arms folded at the piano. And I thought, this, this is not going to go well. Surely this will not go well. But the conductor then added his skill onto Ben's creativity and then brought different sections of the orchestra together 
one by one accord, and they're just watching. When do I play my part? When do I play my part? And it was beautiful. It was amazing. And then at one point, he pointed to the triangle lady, and she just kept playing this triangle over and over again. And it fit amazingly. And then Ben started to play on the piano on top of it. And he sang some, some words that related to the story of the heist of the toilet paper across the road. And suddenly it started to wrap up and the orchestra was quieted bit by bit and there was a standing ovation in the Sydney Town Hall. No other song that night, by the way, got a standing ovation, but that one did. And each part of the orchestra took its bow and you know who got the biggest cheer? The triangle lady got the biggest cheer. Friends, that, think, that reminds me, that is an image, I think, of the community of you all being brought together as a powerful, holy nation, a chosen people, a people belonging to God, that you can declare the praises and the mighty works together. The one of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And you each have a role to play, no matter who you are. No matter how long you've been at this church, be it one week or 64 years or anywhere in between, no matter what you think your gifts are or are not, sometimes the greatest cheer is for the person who does what they may think is the least significant thing, but is actually something that holds everyone together. Friends, God is doing something amongst you. God will continue to do something amongst you. For you, Penrith Baptist Church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, so that you can declare the praises to God and his mighty deeds to others in Cadence and beyond, of the one who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for all you have done for us. You are a great and glorious and wonderful God. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for setting us aside. Lord, thank you for the privilege of working alongside you. Thank you that each one of us has a part to play. Lord, thank you that you have done in the past, according to your goodwill and purposes, your work in the lives of many through this church. Lord, may this church be encouraged in trusting you because of what has gone before. Lord, may they be encouraged to trust you because of who they are now. May they be encouraged to trust you in what is yet to come. And may they be blessed as they acknowledge and lean into and rejoice in the fact that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people who belong to God. And Lord, may they give you praises and declare the mighty works to others the mighty works of the one who's called them out of darkness into your wonderful light, that they may see your work continue and grow and be fruitful, that others may come to know you and that their families, their church, their neighbourhoods, this community and this area that you have placed them in may be transformed by the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless them, I pray. 
on this day and beyond in Jesus' name. Amen.